Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. All right. I feel like I'm trying to juggle all these things, bringing it on stage. Just in case I get a little high, okay? So. <laughs> I am pretty funny, aren't I? No, I'm just kidding. All right, guys. I am just so excited for it. Whoa, what a full house. I, it's, it's something different when you are in the front row. You know, you don't look in the back. So, hello, everybody. I got a lot of new faces. Love seeing everybody. A lot of not-so-new faces, but I love to see every week. So, welcome back. It's so good to be at Encounter Church, isn't it? Yeah. It's just something different when you come to Encounter Church. Not saying any different from other churches, but... I just love how you guys worship. I just love how passionate you are um, to just give God your all. And I've just seen so much growth, and I'm just going to awkwardly pull this back a little bit, trying to get comfortable here. But So, yes, we are, uh, my wife and I are the college and young adults um, pastors, and we love young people. Um, we, love, we have been reaching and discipling young people for a while now, and it is one of our passions, you know. And so we got our little weight crew over here. So what's up, guys? We love just seeing young people step up to the plate and serve God with all their heart. Because in this generation, there's not a lot of that, and we want to see that change. Amen? But as I disciple guys in this generation, one thing that I've really gotten accustomed to was to say things pretty straightforward and to be very blunt, as some people of some of the guys that I pour into know that. Um, but there is always a time and place for this. And I just wanted, before I get started, I wanted to ask some forgiveness for, especially the parents here, but the other week I was actually going for it and praying, but one of the things that you should be really careful is when you are around kids. And I was telling the story of the Bible, and I actually said the S-E-X word out loud, and there's these kids in the front, they're like, and then I felt like Peter denying Jesus three times. It's like, you can't do this, you can't do this, you know? You can't go back on that. So parents, if you were here last week, I just want to ask for forgiveness. Can you forgive me if you had to have that talk with, the, with your kids? If you need that talk, just ask me to start it off for you. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways, so whew, now that I got confession out of my system, it's, you know, when you confess something, it's kind of like you, you've been holding the bath. You had to go to the bathroom for like a very long time, for an hour, and then you finally go, and then it feels good. It's kind of what it feels like. So do not stray away from confession, okay? It is so good because you don't want to pee your pants. Okay, so I love young people anyways, just to let you know. Any young people in the house? We got young people in the house? That was a trick question. All of y'all should have rose your hand because you're young. young. Anyone young at heart? That's what I'm talking about. All right, all right. Okay, so I'm 30 years old, just so you know. And I know, I know. Hey. <laughs> okay. And I think 30 is the margin of that awkward age because you don't know if you're really young or old because the young people say you're old and the old people say you're young. And then I'm just a little confused. So I'm just sitting there and like, uh, am I young? Am I old? But I know that 30 is really catching up to me, just so you know, because the, last week, before wake, I was playing basketball, and I just got this thrill. I'm like, oh man, I love when I get to be active. And then I thought to myself, okay, I could be a little tricky. I could do a few tricks. 
right? Like, not just basketball tricks. I, might, I was like, I might as well just do all the tricks I used to know. So I decided at that moment that I could do a handstand. And I, I know, right? But here's the thing. I did a handstand. Don't, don't get me wrong there. I did a handstand. And I held my own. But at the cost of pulling my gluteus maximus, okay? I didn't know you could pull your butt muscle when doing a handstand. You don't use that thing. So I know that 30 is really catching up to me. So I feel young at heart, and I just love being around all of you youngsters, young at heart with me. So um, yeah, but that's okay, you know, if the more I get older, you know what they say, Asians don't raisin, so I'm okay with that. So anyways, Acts 6-7, now that we are loosened up in this place, I like to have fun with you guys, okay? Is that okay? We like to have fun here. Church should be fun. Church shouldn't be boring. And Encounter Church is anything but boring because you guys rock. So Acts 6, 7, we've been talking about this theme of multiply, right? So why don't, we say it, why don't you say it with me? Then the word of God spread and the disciples multiplied. Okay, let's cut that screen, Aaron. If you want to take it off the screen, we're going to practice this together. Do it. Ready? Acts. All right, yes. We got some smart people in the house. So, what is the theme that we've been saying? Multiply the culture of Jesus through the words of Jesus. Let's say that one more time together. Multiply the culture of Jesus through the words of Jesus. If there is one thing I could advise you, to do is to not get old in your relationship with God. I had a point why I was talking about my age, okay? So here's that segue. Do not let your heart get old. If you don't want to get jaded or calloused towards your relationship with God, our hearts need to be the complete opposite, which is like a child. And sometimes as adults, we like to hold our own, have face, and not look foolish. But children don't care. Have you ever tried to have a conversation with a five-year-old? Ask for their opinion? They'll tell you their, your opinion, their opinion, and it will hurt. But we have to be like a child. Matthew 18.3 says, Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And the key to this, the key to not having a hard heart, the key to not having a calloused heart or jaded is true worship. And I've been doing worship since I was, I don't know, 15 with my dad. My dad has been a worship pastor, has been involved with worship, and worship has always been part of my life. Um, and worship is a big part of my life because I know that the Lord has called me to to not just lead worship, but to develop and multiply worship leaders. And I see that. Shout out to my worship team. You guys are killing it. I love how you guys like tied in What a Beautiful Name and Tremble. Are you kidding me? Come on now. I'm so proud of them. It is crazy. Everyone's stepping up to the plate, and I just see everything that I, not, not for myself, but I'm just going to say this. Like It's been years and years and years of sowing into the kingdom and sowing into the worship ministry and seeing so much growth and multiplication happen before my eyes. It's just so amazing just to see what you can do. So what you do today is what projects the future 
for you. So sow in today. Sow in whatever it is that the Lord is speaking to you. And today, I want to tell you about sowing into your worship because we could multiply our worship. And there's a point to this, and I'm going to talk to you guys about that. But we need to understand that worship isn't only about singing a song. Who in here has thought, because I know I thought that it's only, okay, this is what worship's about. I get to sing a song at church, get to show my melodious voice, you know, and, and just show off or, or maybe not show off whatever it is that you think. This is what worship is about, right? No, worship is not only about singing a song. It's not about being emotional or having a feeling. It isn't even about crying. Worship is actually a position. Worship is a state of heart. You could do all the outward appearance of worship. Lift my hands, do a little dance, jump around. But your heart is not into who you're worshiping. It's not worship. It's a show. It's a performance. And I don't want us to worship God on a performance because that's not going to last in the fire. In the Bible, Jesus uses two different instances where women worshiped the Lord in spirit and truth. Where are my ladies at? There's just something about women when they worship because, I don't know, like they, they always, when it comes to, I just think, as I'm learning this and watching my wife and, and just learning from her and being inspired, you know, like I see that women just have this sensitivity to the Holy Spirit more than guys do. I think it just might be guys just, you know, want to be tough and not want to just lay it all low. But there's something about women that the Lord loves to use. So in this instance, the Lord used two different times the, and the same kind of act of worship but it, they were both women. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the Marys, okay? The, who in here has heard the story of the time of the alabaster jar, right? But some people, some scholars say that it is different stories. You know, there are some instances in each um, parable, um, not parable, each story that kind of show that, yeah, it is different people, different times, yet same name. They're both called Mary. Mary, the first one in Matthew and Mark, that scripture, is going to be Mary, Mary and Martha Mary, that Mary, Lazarus' sister. She's the one that was, Martha was the super, I want to get stuff done. Mary was, I'm just going to stick here with Jesus kind of thing. And we talked about Mary and Martha before with Pastor Hunter when he preached. But that's that Mary. And then the other Mary, which is in Luke, is actually the immoral woman Mary. That's the prostitute Mary. And today I want to focus on Mary who was the immoral woman. And I think that we could learn something from her about true worship. And today that's who we're going to focus on. So let's turn to Luke 7, verse 3648. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet, putting perfume on them. Then the Pharisees who had invited him saw this. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet... 
he would know what kind of he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. <clears throat> Jesus told this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debt. Who do you suppose loved them more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said, verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she washed them with, my, with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the, the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your, your sins are forgiven. And the other st story, it's not this detailed, but Mary, Mary and Martha Mary, that Mary, she brought her alabaster jar, she broke it, and poured it all over Jesus and anointed him as well. And I find it funny, though, because since they're both Mary, I could see where the confusion is, because both are called Mary, both are Simon, both had an alabaster jar, but they were a different time. So I think this is really important in the Bible. Something about this alabaster jar. Maybe you know where I'm going for, but I want you to open your heart because I think there's something fresh that the Lord wants to speak to you today about worship. So... Let's talk about Mary the prostitute. She was, her, her occupation, that was really what her occupation was. She was a prostitute. She was an immoral woman. That was how she made a living. And the alabaster jar wasn't just this thing that she wanted to like carry around and be like, okay, let me just spray some pretty stuff on me. It was the way she made her living. Because that was, it's like, it's like a chef and their knife. They're a chef, they need a knife. A prostitute needs this alabaster jar that has expensive perfume in it. Why? It's because this is what lured in guys that wanted to have S-E-X with her, right? Oh wait, there's no kids in here, right? So, <laughs> just kidding. I'm not gonna say the word. <laughs> Tricked ya. Anyways, it's this person that the immoral woman wanted to have, you know, yes, a relation, thank you, with with whoever, you know, and that was how they got their money. And so I want you to see that this wasn't just some, like, whatever act with a random woman. This was intentional. This was her life. She was bringing everything of who she was to Jesus. And so today we're going to be talking about the cost of worship. So I have three points for you guys to understand that worship is not what it seems. Worship is everything opposite of what this world thinks worship is like. And there's three things, and uh, I'm just going to jot down through these points real quick. It's, the first one is worship is inconvenient. Number two is worship is humbling. And number three, worship is costly. And it's like, in this world, worship is everything but those things. But we know that the only person worthy of our worship is God, is Jesus. And this is what he wants us to know. 
that worship is inconvenient, worship is truly humbling, and worship is costly. So let's talk about the inconvenience of worship. Who in here loves inconvenient things? My favorite thing. You'll see that on my profile information. I love inconvenience. Worship is inconvenient, and inconvenience is uncomfortable. It is so uncomfortable, so do not tell me that you like to be uncomfortable, because we don't like to be uncomfortable, especially in America. Everything is handed to us. Everything is easy. Just pop it in the microwave, and ding, 60 seconds goes by, and you're ready to go. Everything's convenient here. But I don't want to live a life of worship in, in, in a convenient way. I want to understand that worship is more than just doing an act, but it is very inconvenient. Verse 37 says, when a certain immoral woman from that city heard, can you guys say heard? He was eating there. She brought, say brought, a, alabaster, a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Let's paint this picture, okay? In order for Mary to know or to have heard Jesus was in the area, she had to be keeping her ears to the ground, meaning she had to be listening. She had to be aware and being like, Jesus is somewhere. This Messiah that they're talking about is somewhere. And that somewhere is not where I'm at. She had to be listening. She didn't have Facebook event notifications to tell them, Jesus is downtown Kennesaw at 6 p.m., B-Y-O-A-J, bring your own alabaster jar. You know, it's not like that. It was, he, she had to be like, where is Jesus and where can I go to figure out where he's at? She was looking for Jesus. So when she heard where Jesus was, she didn't wait for him to come to her. She went to, a, she went to him. But let's take, listen to this. She went to a place where she was probably not welcomed. She went to a place where she also wasn't anywhere near. I want you to understand this. Remember, she was a prostitute. And whose house was Jesus at? A Pharisee. Pharisees were those, hmm, I'm super good and cool and perfect kind of guy. So think of like lower class, mid, middle class, and the rich people. The zones that they were in were completely different. You know? And the Pharisee was up here in this perfect zone, and she was in the red zone. So she wasn't anywhere near Jesus, so she had to go travel. There ain't no Ubers over there. She had to walk there. She went where she was probably going to be judged, ridiculed, rejected. And listen to this. Her life could have been in danger because remember that time when the someone caught someone in adultery? What did they do? They were ready to stone her. So she was risking her life because she never knew. She was entering unknown territory, rich people territory, you know? And they could have stoned her. They would have had all reason to. But that didn't stop her. She went where she knew the presence of God was. 
And she did it to worship Jesus. Worship requires discomfort. Why? Because it requires us to do something that our flesh isn't accustomed to. And that's dying. That's why worship should be very uncomfortable. For example, who in here loves mission trips? We are a church that loves mission trips, and unfortunately, we haven't been able to go to any this past year, but the next one that does sign up, <coughs> Cuba, please, just kidding, sign up for that because mission trips change your life. And if you haven't been to a mission trip, you know, and you want to, I want to just kind of tell you this, that I love mission trips. I've gone to mission trips for a very long time. If you are with Hunter and Liz, they will take you to a mission trip even if you don't want to go. <laughs> They'll be like, this is good for you. Come on. <laughs> Chloroform. I'm just kidding. They'll take you on that. <laughs> Wake up in Cuba. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Where'd you take me? <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. They don't do that that much. But anyway, so... But I love mission trips, and they are so fun. But here's the thing. To me, maybe the, and be honest, okay, there's like a very small percentage of y'all who may not be like this. But I think mission trips are super inconvenient and super uncomfortable. I highly dislike planes. I hate boats, and I hate germs, Okay. <laughs> And all, it has all of that, you know, everything. So let me explain to you. First of all, the reason why it's inconvenient and uncomfortable, when you go to a mission trip, you first of all have to get a passport. Anyone had to try to get a passport here? It is the worst experience ever. Have you tried procrastinating on your passport? No, don't do that because you're not going to get it. So first of all, you got to get your passport, and that's tough. Second of all, you have to go to the airport, and everyone here knows in Atlanta, going to the airport is a mission trip in itself, you know? So it's hard in itself. And when you go there, thirdly, you have to actually go through the airport, okay? You got to get your ticket. You got to check in your bags. You got to go to TSA. And you know that line is as long as the Chick-fil-A line when it's lunch rush, okay? It is horrible. You do not want to go at those times, but you can't help it. Then you get to Cuba. And it's hot. It is so hot. And you ride a bus that has no AC. And your Spanish is equivalent to a two-year-old. And at the same time, you've been holding your pee for an hour. And you have no idea when the next stop is going to be. But once you're there, once you are through the inconvenience, and you realize why you're actually in this third world country. Why the Lord has called you to step out of your comfortable American lifestyle and go to somewhere that is completely different from yours. Look around you, we are so diverse in this place. Go out of this country, so much more diversity that you've never may have experienced until you've gone. But once you're there and you realize why you're there, you see the face of God. And the inconvenience just doesn't matter anymore. And it is totally, totally worth it. 
And I've never regretted going to a mission trip. Almost. But I have never regretted going to a mission trip. It requires a lot of dying to yourself. Not only was it inconvenient for Mary to go where Jesus was under all of these circumstances, there was another thing that contributed to the inconvenience. She was carrying an alabaster jar. And maybe you've never thought of this, but it's kind of like, I'll use college as an example. It's like you did a science project, and it's like the DNA like prop is standing up, and you're trying to get from one side of the prop, um, complex to another, or campus to another, and you're trying to dodge all these people, and you just don't want to break it. It's awkward, and it's uncomfortable. And I feel like that's kind of how Mary, the immoral woman, felt carrying this alabaster jar. So I wanted to help you kind of get a picture of this. So I'm asking my, my man Carlos to come help me out real quick to do a little visual. He, he was excited to do this. So I'm going to have him help me with this visual of this alabaster jar. So this is Mary. Say hi, Mary. <laughs> Mario, yes. No, so he's going to represent us. He's going to represent Mary. And he's going to be like, I want to go where Jesus is. And so most of us may think this alabaster jar could be, just kidding, it's just water. But (laughs) a lot of people think that the alabaster jar is like this. But it's not. I want you to grab that right over there. So this is what, just an example of carrying an alabaster jar was kind of like. Imagine it's like a cinder block. Who's carried a cinder block before? It's very awkward and uncomfortable, and it hurts, you know? So what I'm going to have Carlos do is I'm going to have him walk around the sanctuary, okay, just to kind of give you a picture. So I want you to walk around and just follow my my direction, what I'm going to do. So just imagine Mary is carrying this alabaster jar from Zone Red. (laughs) Don't drop it on anyone. Okay, keep walking there. So he, Mary's going through there. Okay, I want, I want you to come through this aisle and then go to the empty spot right there where the, the aisle is. Go in there. Yep, and so now cross over a couple rows. So just imagine the awkwardness and uncomfortable feeling of going through and then get out into the aisle. And then come over here and then walk through this middle row right here. If you guys want to give him some space to walk on through. She, ha- she is crossing people, right? She is going through and go to the back, all the way to the back. She is traveling from zone, red zone, all the way to the rich place. Now go out, from the san- go out of the sanctuary and through the sound booth. And so this Mary is just going through all these places, carrying this awkward piece of alabaster jar. And come on through, come on through. And then she finally makes it to the door and comes in carrying this alabaster jar, and Jesus is here. You see the picture of what Mary had to do? She had to go through all these things just to come to Jesus. 
But she didn't halfway go like, well, you know, I'm just going to leave this here and keep walking, or I'm going to turn back. The story, she made it with the alabaster jar. All right, you can put it away. Thank you. Maybe I should have drank while he was walking around. <laughs> James 4.8. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What Mary did was exactly that. She drew near to God. And I want to bust some of our bubbles here. That's a lot of us just think, just wait on the Lord. And there's a time and moment for that. Just wait, we wait for you, you know? We wait for you, whatever. Jesus, come, I'm not going to do anything but wait for you and not move my butt off this chair and just wait for you. But sometimes it requires us to do something. And this scripture actually says, first, he doesn't say God will draw near to you, so draw near to him. He says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. There needs to be steps. If you need a touch from God, if you need freedom in your life, if you need an experience, an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, you need to go to him and not wait around. Don't excuse waiting on the Lord as laziness, you know? But also, don't get confused about doing something. I know some people are like, it's not what we do, but it's the grace of God. But we need to understand when that's actually applicable. Worship, well, the thing is, you can't earn your salvation. That is a great, a give, that is given from God by grace. Okay? But there are things that require us to take steps of obedience, which is faith, to position ourselves for the presence and glory of God. That is what true worship does to our heart. It positions ourselves for the outpouring of the presence of God. Worship isn't from God to us. You know? Think about that. God doesn't worship us. It's something that he deserves. And sometimes we wait for the Lord to be like, ooh, come and touch my life, Lord. But we're not doing what he is asking us, and it's to worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship isn't from God to us. Salvation is. Joy is. Freedom is. But worship is for God by us. And there will, there will, there will, there will be results. When you do this, when you worship him, it's his presence and power poured out in your life. That is the result of true worship. And with that comes the freedom, the joy, the peace, the calmness to the storm that is chaotic in your mind. Whatever it is, 
The presence and power and glory of God is the answer. And you can only receive that when you worship him. Worship is the breeding ground for his glory. Psalms 22.3 says he inhabits in the praises of his people. He lives in the praises of his people. And if we want to touch from the presence of God and the glory of God, we need to worship him in spirit and in truth because that is the only place that the presence of God will inhabit. We need to be worshipers. Do we worship Jesus this way? Is he worth our inconvenience? Is he worth 30 minutes a day with no distractions to read and pray? Is he worth committing to your discipleship group, to your prayer time, to, the, to prayer service? Is he worth choosing to come to church every single Sunday, even when we're tired? Even when the kids Wake up multiple times at night. Oh, we're coming. And you're going to suffer with me. So. <laughs> Is he worth coming to church on time to make it to corporate worship? And here's the thing. I know we're like, worship isn't about singing and all this stuff, but there is something powerful about corporate worship. There's something powerful when two or three gather and worship the Lord. It's so funny because years ago, before the pandemic hit, everyone would say, I don't like social media. Because people are so fake. You don't know what they really are like. But all of a sudden, this pandemic hits. And it's okay to do church online. You know? And I think there's something wrong if we agree with what the world says. I'm not saying anything beyond that. All I'm saying is that Jesus is worth the corporate worship. And the thing is, the preaching is for us. Right? It's for us to be edified and to grow. But worship is for God. And when we take that away from him, we're not doing what he has called us to do. And so I encourage you, maybe it's cutting you deep, but I encourage you, wake up 15 minutes earlier. Or, or commit to come with someone if you don't like coming early. It doesn't matter. Come and make it to corporate worship on time and worship the Lord with us. Because it's powerful. It's amazing. Is my worship inconvenient or is it just comfortable? We've got to worship him in the inconvenience. Worship is inconvenient. Worship is also humbling. Verse 44 says, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Where the Pharisee said, I would never. Mary said, I will worship. The opposite 
of humble is religious. Mary represents humility. Simon the Pharisee represents the religious approach to worship. It's all about, I got to look good, I got to be proper, I got to feel great. But Mary's like, it doesn't even matter. I already walked this far, so I might as well do it all, you know? I might as well just worship him here. Worship requires vulnerability. In other words, transparency. And I'm not just saying transparency with other people, but transparent to the Lord, because you know what? He's all seeing anyways. But he wants us to be transparent ourselves, to be like, Lord, I really can't do this. I'm dealing with hate. I'm dealing with anger. I'm dealing with bitterness. I'm dealing with surrender. And he's like, I know. But just come into my presence. Just come and worship me. And then your life can change. Maybe you're here today and you're just like, my life is looking the same. Even before the pandemic, you know? It's like, I'm just here breathing. You know, warming up a seat. And nothing has changed. How about you change your approach to worship? How about you, you just approach the Lord with, with worship in spirit and in truth? Then you could see what the Lord can really do. Should we care what we look like when we worship? No. Should, we worship, should our worship be dictated by the speculators? And, it, that's, and the Pharisee was a speculator. He was like, see that sinner? If he knew, he was speculating her. And she was worshiping. And he was like, Uh, No. (laughs) Don't be a speculator. Be a worshiper. Don't look at other people. Look at the face of God. And then God could do his part. But it's so funny because we could be concerned of how we look in worship. And I'm just going to talk a little bit about the corporate worship. Sometimes we got, there's different levels of worship, let's just say, you know, the kind of like during a praise song, the bobbing of the head. Level one, bobbing of the head. Level two, the sway and the bob. Bob sway. How about the one hand cut pocket with the hand out? Hey, hey, hey. Those that are not very rhythmically like inclined. You can still clap around. You can still do this. Then the worship time, you know, one, one is just like closing your eyes. Perfect. You know, start from there. Or here, hold my baby kind of thing. Or the, the fish was this big kind of thing. And then the experts, hallelujah! Whatever level of worship it is, don't worry what other people are thinking around you. But I, I believe that one of the reasons why, and I want to tell you this story, like, oh, wow, like, I was just thinking about this this morning that I remember when I was younger, it was before, like, uh, I was with the youth group of Pastor Hunter and Liz. They weren't here yet. They were in Mexico. They weren't married. But anyways, so before they came... <laughs> Before they came, I was, I remember, I, was, I think I was around 13, 14, and that was around the time where I really felt the Lord was dealing with my heart, trying to be like, okay, RJ, like, 
I grew up as a Christian. My, my dad was a worship pastor. You know, my mom was committed to serving. But we all know that you can't just be what your parents do. Both ways, like whether they are a Christian, whether they're not. But I, I realized, that was the time I started to realize I need to make my own decisions. I need to, something about this is different. And, and so we would go to this um, pretty low-key Baptist church, like on the west side of El Paso. Um, and was it Baptist? I don't remember. But they were very low-key. And... I remember, though, that there are these two young people, these young guys, long, flowy hair, because we know in the 2000s, that was the thing, you know, put your hair out long. And so I remember I would stand over there, like in the, like, four or five rows back, and then I would just see these guys, everybody else just kind of standing around, jumping, but they were jumping around, and they were going berserk for the presence of God, and I had no idea what that was. And I thought it was kind of foolish because I'm like, that's so crazy. But I remember one time they invited me and my friends to go to this conference and they had a worship set and they, they played the first praise song and we're just standing around there on the back row, or not back row, middle row, we're clapping our hands. And then the second song came and it was, uh, it was a song maybe, you know, one way, Jesus, you're the only one that I could live for. And I remember I loved that song. But all our friends were just like, we were just standing around, but it was like the, the worship leader invited everyone to start jumping around. And I remember, gosh, like I remember that was the time where the Lord broke my worship because I started to, I just was like, you know what, I want to try this. So I started jumping around and it felt great. It was amazing. And that's when I realized I really am an extrovert, you know. I could just be out there and have a rambunctious time and have fun. But that was the moment where I realized worship shouldn't be constrained because of what I think other people are thinking about. And Mary didn't think anything about the Pharisee. When that song was over, by the way, I was so upset because I wanted to keep jumping. But then I was so excited for the next worship stuff to happen. But we need to be like Mary. We need to humble ourselves. We need to not be like the Pharisee, religious, proper, well-kept. She humbled herself, and she went low to worship Jesus. Low. Washing feet was for the lowest of female servants back in the day. It was the nastiest job a servant could have. The, guest, they, um, the guests would, may have walked on roads barefoot or at the most sandals. But there would be a lot of dirt, a lot of bugs, a lot of poop, a lot of nasties all over the ground. And then they would go to this house and before they could enter, there's a sign that says, wash your feet. It's equivalent to, take your shoes off in my house. But wash your feet. And so this female servant, most likely very young, would come and wash all that nasty stuff. And who knows, what if there was like a line of 20 guests? She would just have to keep washing and washing 
But in order to really wash their feet, she had to get low on the ground. And this is a picture of what humble worship is like. You can't wash someone's feet from up here unless they're super tall. Prop up your feet, you know? But Mary went down to the ground and washed the feet of Jesus. When was the last time we went low to the ground and washed the feet of Jesus with our, with our worship? This reminds me of when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and he was the humble king. Man, Matthew 23, 11 through 12 says, the greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He came to serve us and he came to show us the example of what worship looks like. You know, if we want to start working on killing our religious spirit, and we are all susceptible to this. Nobody is like, I'm too holy for religious spirits. No. There's, you know, it's all over. It's every part, there could be small parts in our heart that are religious. It could be areas in our mind that are religious. But if you want to work on killing our religious spirit, one way we could do is actually start serving. Because I'm not just making this up. And I know you hear a lot of join the, the E-Force, come and serve. But you know what? Yes, come and serve. You know, it's not, it's not for us. It's because we know who we're serving. Yes. And we know that if we serve God well, and you serve God well, then you could encounter God well. So I just want to say, if you're here and you're not serving, it's never too late. But I encourage you, when you serve, it's like getting low on the ground. Oh, I'm offended, and I'm bitter, and I've been hurt. Jesus heals. And if you're holding on to that bitterness, do you even know Jesus? You know? It's like, I know, I know, I know that could be harsh, but it's the harsh reality of the gospel. Because... Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to heal the brokenhearted. And if you are broken and, and, and bound up and not letting God come and change your life, then you are not embracing the gospel to its fullest. And you are being a Pharisee and you're not being like a Mary. And I've been there. I've been there. I want to be like Mary. I want you to look at my ID and say, Mary, you know, I want to be Mary. I want to be just like her and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. So worship is inconvenient, worship is humbling, and worship, last point, is costly. Worship requires the two S's, surrender and sacrifice. Exactly. These are the things that are just tough for our flesh to submit to. It's like... You know, who in here has ever had an argument with your spouse? Never. We're holy people in this place. <laughs> but one of the things I know for men that's hard is to admit that they're wrong. <laughs> what? 
that they're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but it's actually better when you just admit that you're wrong. Because then you don't have to fight. And you don't have to be awkward because you live in the same house. It's like, where can you go? I'll be in the bathroom for about two hours, okay? <laughs> but we need to surrender and sacrifice all of this feeling, right? In the Old Testament, their way of worship was pretty messy. And it was costly, right? They had to get animals and slaughter them for the glory of God, you know? It's like, okay, I'm so glad we don't do that here. But this was the truth. This is what they did. And what would happen if you would kill an animal? Blood. Messy. But it was a sacrifice. What about the grain? You know, they also gave grain and like stuff that were not animals. The produce and all of that. They had to give their best. They had to surrender it's like, Lord, this apple looks really good, but I guess I'll give it to you, you know? They surrendered. They gave it, and it, it, it's hard. Mary knew that it wasn't enough just to show up to Jesus and just to bow low to Jesus. That's why she brought the alabaster jar. Let's go back to the alabaster jar. This is what's costly. The alabaster jar itself is not what is valuable, it's what's inside that's valuable. And we need to understand that. The perfume, the oil, because one version says oil, the other says perfume, so I'm just going to interchange once in a while so don't be confused. But the oil inside of the alabaster is what is valuable. The perfume in the alabaster jar represents what defined her. Remember, she was a prostitute. She was the immoral woman. And this perfume is what made her money. So this was her job. This was who she was. It represented her life. What's inside of your alabaster jar? Is it pain? Is it addiction? Is it a wrong lifestyle? Is it pride, anger, or jealousy? What if it's something else? What if it's your job, or your kids, your marriage, money, school? What is valuable to you? What is inside of that alabaster jar that you are holding on so tightly to? And the thing we have to understand about the alabaster jar is that it wasn't like a regular open it up kind of thing. The alabaster jar was actually completely sealed with wax. Reason for it is so it would not leak out any of the valuable perfume or oil. It's not like what you see every day with cologne. Spray it once in a while just on you. It's like, oh, it smells good. They had to break this thing in order to get it all out. So it was a one-time deal. But how many of us could relate to worship by just spraying it once in a while? 
There you go, Jesus. I got my dose of worship for you today. I prayed for five minutes. How many of us feel like our alabaster jar is more like a cologne or perfume bottle as opposed to something fragile that we don't control if we want out? Psalm 51, 17 says this. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Brokenness. Repentant heart. Breaking your alabaster jar meant that whatever was inside is all coming out. This single act of worship is a prime example of what it means to give God your all. Literally, when she broke that alabaster jar, not only did it go to Jesus, I want you to understand this, not only was it all over Jesus and the smell was on Jesus, it permeated the whole room. Her worship affected everybody. When you worship God in this way, your life will change. Worship is a sweet and powerful scent that permeates the room. And when you break your whole life for the sake of Jesus, it will impact other people. This is worship multiplied. When you break the jar, the alabaster jar, so worship could come from the depths of your spirit and your soul for one purpose, to give glory to God. But here's the thing. If you don't know the cost of your oil in your alabaster jar, you'll never be able to fully worship Jesus. In verses 41 to 43, it says, Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? The one whom he canceled the larger debt. And I always wondered, what does that even mean, Lord? Because I don't think my debt is as large as some other people. I believe that the only way the immoral woman could go to where Jesus was, bring her alabaster jar, and break it to pour out her perfume or her oil on Jesus was by seeing the price of her debt as 500 if you don't see your debt, your sin, what you've done to crucify the almighty innocent lamb of God, if you don't see it as 500, then you cannot worship him genuinely. The Pharisee was 50. Mary was 500. Do you know how much your oil costs? Because here's the thing, I don't know how much yours costs. I know how much mine costs. No one could tell you how much your oil costs, except when you look at him. And get this straight, when you compare your oil to someone else, it is detrimental to your worship. Let's say someone is addicted to drugs, or has done witchcraft all their life, and the Lord has set them free, and you're over here 
God, all I did was compulsively lie. And if you compare yourself to that person saying that their oil is a lot more expensive than mine, you're saying, God, that what you did on the cross for me was not, as, not worth it to me to give you my all and to worship you with my whole heart. But when you take your eyes off of the person right next to you and you look at the king and you look at what he has done on that cross, then you will see how much your sin really costs. Because he died for each one of us. And I remember when I broke my alabaster jar for the first time, you know, besides that awesome experience of seeing worship in its fullest. But I remember, like, I, growing up as a Christian, you know, I was kind of like the guy that, like, would want to do the right thing. So I didn't do a lot of bad stuff that is compared to the world, you know? I wouldn't go off and have sex with my friends, you know? I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be addicted to drugs. I wouldn't go out and partying and drinking and all that. Because I know some of us here are dealing with that kind of stuff. All I did was, all I had was, I was insecure. I was afraid of everything. I hated myself. I didn't think I was good enough. Which would cause me to lie because I wanted to impress other people. To, you know, be fake in front of other people, whatever it is. And if you compare the two, it's just like... I think that other person had it worse than me. So I'm just, I'll just get the scraps, Lord. I'll just do whatever. I'll just. But I remember when I encountered the Lord and I realized that it doesn't matter what has happened in other people's lives because sin is sin and the Lord has wanted me to give my all to him. And I realized that worship wasn't just about singing, wasn't just about going to church, wasn't just about you know, being proper and religious, it was about pouring out who you really are to the Lord and never going back. And I realized that, and that changed my life. And I believe that there are some of us here today that do not see the value of the cross and what he has done on the cross for us. You can see the price of your oil, of your perfume, by knowing why he came and what he did on that cross. When you can see your sin on that cross and the severity of the cross, you'll know the cost of your oil. And maybe some of us here has been calloused and gone dry with our worship. I remember I, I, I preached about monuments a while ago, and I, it, it just got me thinking about this again, is to never forget where you came from. Never forget where you came from. Don't let offense, don't let bitterness, don't let anger, don't let broken expectations dictate how you're going to worship the Lord. But remember who he is and what he has done for you. And without him, you would not be here today. I would not be here today. So how dare we put that on God where our worship should be there? 
And I'm saying this to myself because I have to remind myself that I have to always worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. But I believe that today as we move on to ministry time, that we need to look to the cross. And that we need to have a moment of worship with God. And so I know, Kwame and Jonah, if you want to help me set this up, I want you guys just to close your eyes. I really believe that we need to get back to the heart of worship. That we need to allow Jesus to come and have his way in our life. Remember where you came from. Remember the goodness and the grace of God, of what he rescued you from, of what he set you free from. Jesus, remind me. Come on, guys, don't be distracted with this. Jesus, remind me of what you did on the cross for me. Remind me of who you are, Father. Lord, I'm sorry I have been so callous and so dry in my worship with you. I've allowed bitterness and anger and hate to dictate how I worship you, Father. Lord, come and have your way, Father. Come and have your way, Jesus. And I just wanted us to just have a moment of worship with God. I know that the Lord is speaking to some of you here today. Just close your eyes and just focus on the presence of God. I just want to play some worship. Lord, that you would take us back to the heart of worship. I know some of us here need to remember the cost of our worship. just open the altar for some of us here that just need to respond to this word and if that's you and you just need to respond to the worship and the presence of God come to the altar find a place in this room in this building and just say God take me back to where I was Something's just stopping you. Be like, this isn't for me. 
miss this opportunity to just get back to the Lord. that you're holding on to right now in your alabaster jar? Is it your job? Is it your kids? Is it hate? Is it anger or bitterness? We just give it all to you. I give it all to you, God. I just want to worship you, Father. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through his word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.